your cultural affairs radio magazine written and produced by members of the first voice apprenticeship program we're broadcasting live from Poochine occupied Ohlone territory also known to colonizers as the Bay Area we'd like to thank everyone for their generous donations to help keep this amazing community radio station alive and our programming thriving we could not do any of this without your support. If you haven't taken the opportunity to donate, please go to kpfa.org today to make your secure donation. On tonight's show, we'll discuss the xenophobic violence, rioting, and looting that occurred in South Africa recently. We'll discuss the history and politics of the region and talk about the historical roots of the divisions and the hostility against, between, and amongst African people, both on the continent and around the world. Our guests tonight are KPFA's own Walter Turner, the host of Africa Today. And we'll also be talking to Wilson Chifike, a Zimbabwean educator and tour guide working and living in South Africa. We're your full circle hosts this evening, Theodora, KC, and Shanice. Stay tuned. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the Full Circle on 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley. I'm Shanice, one of your hosts this evening. We'd like to begin tonight with a brief Sky News clip that describes what has been happening in South Africa. You'll also hear a brief Al Jazeera news clip describing the fallout from the recent xenophobic rioting, looting, and violence in South Africa. It's going to take a lot to change their minds about foreigners in South Africa. All these men are out of work, and they put that down to the outsiders, who sell their goods and their labor much more cheaply. These people, they work for 80 rand a day, 90 rand a day. It's fine for them because when you go to his country, it's a lot of money. But for us, it's too small. So we are no longer getting jobs anymore because of the salary we're looking for. You understand? These people, they are setting small money. So they are ruining us in each and every side of ours. We attack them with knives, everything, machetes, man, because we are very, very angry because we can't accept that. And what makes you think that's okay to attack another human being with a machete? Because these people, if they attack us also, late time they use these things they use guns they also blame the foreigners for the high crime rate and their version of justice is meted out pretty quickly everything is easy to catch fire it's flammable if i put it on the tire the tire is what is catching fire really i put and you'll put there. this on well, on well, the person and yeah. while, while we're beating you you are very weak again you can't fight back well, well, even though even i can take this tire by well, one and to get you like this yeah. you are very weak let me say this for must school and come back legally 
All around where we're talking, there is appalling deprivation. The men are unashamed at their bitterness towards the foreigners, and many, they say, are inside South Africa illegally without visas or even passports. What happens if they don't go? If they don't go, they will get a piece of this. And their shops will be looted. But I'm also a foreigner in your country. I'm British and I'm working in your country. Yes. Does that mean you'd attack me? No, because you are not doing the bad things. The xenophobic violence has turned into a political weapon. One of the leaders of the opposition visited Alexandra Township the night before the army was ordered in. Gunshots were fired ahead of his arrival and three supporters were injured. Why do you think they're doing it? What is to blame for this? Well, uh, our people are in poverty and uh, they get tempted to believe simplest solution. But if we drive away the foreigners, we will work tomorrow. But the reality is that there are no jobs. Even if these people leave, we'll still be unemployed. The challenge is poverty, and whilst people are living like this, the tension and the xenophobic violence is not going to go away. Alex Crawford, Sky News, Johannesburg. This isn't a flight that many had planned on taking. These Nigerian nationals are returning to their home country, but they say it's not by choice. More than 300 people have taken up the offer of a free flight to repatriate them from South Africa after a new wave of violence against foreigners. But just over half boarded the flight. Others had expired passports or the wrong documents and had to stay. Shops owned by foreign nationals have been looted and burned to the ground. Pastor Ugo Ofegbu has lived in South Africa for close to two decades. He says he's sending his wife and three children back to Lagos. Yeah, I'm really worried about my family's safety in South Africa here now. What the incident have happened is, uh, you know, recently is so terrible. So I can't risk my family to be in South Africa for now, and I don't think they will be coming back. About 640 people are expected to be repatriated. Since the third time in recent years, there's been significant unrest between locals and foreigners, adding to tensions between the Nigerian and South African governments. But now the flights are an opportunity for people seeking safety. But many who are staying are uncertain about their future. More than 700 people from other countries like Malawi and Zimbabwe have sought refuge at community centers. Many say they don't feel safe living here anymore. Many of the people here fled their homes in local communities with little more than a few bags. One of them is Mozambican Oscar Situve, who is registering to get a temporary travel document to return home. He's lived in South Africa for 30 years, but he lost everything in the riots. What made me run is that I saw how they were attacking people, attacking them like dogs. And some of the people who were attacking us were people that have known us for a long time. That's what hurts me the most. The hundreds leaving may be a small portion of the millions of foreigners living in South Africa. But there are fears the violence will have a great impact on South Africa's relationship with other African nations. Famida Miller, Al Jazeera, Johannesburg, South Africa.
You just heard two news clips describing the xenophobic violence in South Africa and how hundreds of foreign nationals from Nigeria, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, and other countries are fleeing South Africa because they're being attacked by South Africans. South Africa's unemployment rate is close to 30%, and South Africans are blaming immigrants for their poverty and lack of employment opportunities. Let's listen to another brief clip from the dark side of the Rainbow Nation, a report by Jurgen Schneider, a journalist from DW News. Many of these people living close to the center of Johannesburg haven't been back to their home countries in a long time. They're immigrants, some legal, some illegal. Communal prayer gives them a feeling of security and helps them deal with living in a foreign country. Over six million people have migrated to South Africa in the past two decades. The late Nelson Mandela once spoke of South Africa as a rainbow nation. But is that still true? I'm here to find out the answer to that question and the fastest way to do it is to take a taxi. Many taxi drivers are immigrants, and the first taxi I call is driven by one. His name is Best Moyo. Okay, wh what kind of flag is that? This is a Zimbabwean flag. Um, I'm Zimbabwean. I came here in the early 1990s, around 1991. That's when I came to South Africa. And when I came, things were not as bad as it is now. Everything was still all right. I just came here as an immigrant, just trying to look for cleaner pastures like anyone else. Best brought his family here from Zimbabwe a long time ago. He says he feels comfortable living in South Africa, but in recent years, the mood has turned sharply against immigrants. Welcome back. You're listening to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM. I'm KC, and you just heard a brief clip from The Dark Side of the Rainbow Nation, a report that gets us to the topic we'll be exploring on tonight's show, what has happened in South Africa since the end of apartheid and why it's happening. But first, we'd like to take a moment to talk about the 1884 to 1885 Berlin Conference, a pivotal moment in history that is often referred to as the Scramble for Africa. This information gives us a historical context for the condition of the continent of Africa today. I'd like to introduce this next segment with a poem written by yours truly. I titled it Ujima, and it's something I wrote after being inspired by the historian and scholar Chancellor Williams and his book, The Destruction, the Destruction of Black Civilization. I'll read it for you now. Born into a world inherited I did not know my name. Learned the lies of oppressors and perpetuated the same. Blanketed in ignorance, smelling of shame. Separated from knowledge, the annals of great black acclaim. Black lands, black genius, black, black math, science, and design. Black writers, black artists, black power. Black pioneers blotted out of time the greatest civilization brought to its nadir and left behind, the reward of confederation the inferior made sublime. And when I awoke to the knowledge of truth, I held my head high, stood tall and amused, because black is the soul of the world peeled back, restored in unity, black to black. 
So that was my poem, Ujima, written after being inspired by the historian and scholar Chancellor Williams and his book, The Destruction of Black Civilization. We'd also like to share a short excerpt from the book, which will take us right into our next clip. Theodora? An African is a member of the black race, and from time immemorial, he was known as such by all the people of the world. Throughout this work, the term refers to blacks only. It should be noted, also, that I write about the African people, not African peoples as Western writers do. I am dealing here with essentially one people, one race, if you please, the African race. In ancient times, African and Ethiopian meant the same thing, black. This, of course, was before the Caucasians began to reorder the earth to suit themselves and found it necessary to stake their birthright over the land of the blacks. Also, in line with this, some Western historians have recently wondered where the Africans came from. Before we bring in our special guest, let's hear this clip from the documentary Uganda Rising, explaining the scramble for Africa. The divide can be traced back to the late 1800s during what was called by the Imperial European powers the scramble for Africa. Colonization was motivated by the European hunger for African resources. The subsequent exploitation of the African people and the uprooting of their spiritual values by Christian missionaries would leave a permanent European stamp on the continent. The mindset is the barbarians are backward and inferior and for their own benefit we have to uplift them and civilize them and educate them and so on. The um, psychology behind it is kind of transparent. I mean, when you've got your boot on someone's neck and you're crushing them, you can't say to yourself, I'm a son of a bitch, and I'm doing it for my own benefit. So what you have to do is figure out some way of saying, I'm doing it for their benefit. And that's a, a very natural uh, position to take when you're beating somebody with a club. Britain cut the largest piece of African cake from Cairo to Cape Town, in addition to Nigeria and a few West African regions. It was also the British Empire that in 1894 imposed an arbitrary boundary around the many diverse ethnic groups and kingdoms that would make up Uganda. The southern Bantu-speaking people were given economic, political, and educational advantage. The northern ethnic groups, two in particular, the Acholi and the Langi, were the main recruits for military and police positions. By exploiting linguistic, ethnic, and cultural differences between the peoples of the North and South, Britain's divide and rule policies created a tension between them that helped maintain British rule. The French took an east-west slice of the continent as well as Madagascar. The Belgians took Rwanda, Burundi, and the Congo in what Joseph Conrad called the vilest scramble for loot that ever disfigured the history of human conscience. Slave labor took over five million lives. In Rwanda, 
Belgium entrenched the idea of the Hutu as a workforce and the Tutsi as extenders of Belgian rule. The politicization of these two cultures would profoundly contribute to the genocide of 1994. In Sudan, the British ruled the Arabs in the north and the blacks in the south as separate colonies, only to combine the areas before independence in 1956. The result has been relentless civil war, the Darfur massacres being the latest tragedy. The Portuguese decimated Angola, Mozambique, and Guinea-Bissau well into the 1970s. The Italians took Libya, Eritrea, and Somalia. The Germans added Cameroon and Tanzania and committed the first genocide of the 20th century against the Herero people. No colonial power uh, is going to succeed unless it's going to uh, play on existing divisions and sharpen them, increase them, exacerbate them. So one of the first questions after the end of colonialism is who belongs and who doesn't? Uh, who, who, who was part of the colonial struggle and who betrayed? And this is time to settle scores. You just heard a clip from the documentary Uganda Rising. In that clip, Noam Chomsky and Mahmoud Mandami briefly explained the Berlin Conference, the scramble for Africa, that took place in Germany in 1884 and 1885. Tonight, we have with us Walter Turner of Africa Today to help us understand this ongoing violence and unrest in South Africa. A scholar, educator, researcher, and journalist who is a leading authority on contemporary African affairs and the African diaspora. Mr. Turner has worked in Nigeria, South Africa, Cuba, Kenya, Venezuela, and many other parts of the world. He is the producer and host of Africa Today. His broadcast is one of the most listened to programs on KPFA and airs on Mondays at 7 p.m. Mr. Turner, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm enjoying it. Very great program. The press is describing what's going on in South Africa as xenophobic attacks. Please explain to us what xenophobia is and help us make some sense of the havoc and mayhem happening in South Africa. There's a couple of terms which are used. Let me step back for a moment here because the, uh, the piece that you had in the Berlin conference was very interesting. And it's important to look at the colonial history in terms of what's ha- happening on the African continent now. And in fact, the Berlin Conference uh, was because the European powers found themselves competing for resources and strategic ways in Africa. So mm-hmm. out the early 1800s, basically, we have this period we refer to as the Bible and the gun. When Europeans go into the African continent, they know that they can't exploit it without knowing where the rivers are, without knowing where the mountains are. So you hear these names of people like Livingston and Stanley, mm-hmm. etc. Then at some point when there's competition among the European powers, then Bismarck of Germany, who has just entered into Africa, calls the conference 
Massachusetts. And some historians say that they uh, gave pieces of Africa to Europeans. That's not exactly correct. Basically, the it was put out that European countries had to establish themselves in particular areas. So that early period there is where you begin to see people like King Leopold is just kind of wanton genocide, etc. And then later there's a more uh, a formal establishment of those type of things. In South Africa, there's a number of things. It depends on how far you want to go back. Um, I think if you, the term is used of the events that have happened over the last several years because more people died and what we refer to as the xenophobia or Afrophobia of 2008 than recently died in the events That's that happened true. in 2019. Yes. And many countries, so when the Nigerian foreign minister, Nigerian president said he wasn't going to go to the conference in South Africa, when major hip-hop and music artists from Nigeria, such as Burner Boy and Tiwa, said that they weren't going to go, uh, it was because of what was going on in the country. Uh, Tanzania was affected. Uh, in Nigeria, Nigerians attacked businesses and buildings that were owned by South Africa. Uh, South Africa, through beer, through telecommunications, has a fairly broad footprint throughout the African continent. And what many of these countries were saying were two things. Number one, that the migrant labor that built South Africa uh, was put together by South Africa in the uh, Land Act of 1913, the labor laws of post-apartheid 1948. So many workers were coming into South Africa. So there was a tradition there. Second of all, many of the countries are saying that when South Africa needed assistance during the period of the anti-apartheid struggle, the people such as uh, uh, the president, uh, Buhari, not Buhari necessarily, uh, but other leaders in Nigeria and other countries, particularly Tanzania, what they called the frontline state, that they gave willingly, that they yes. sacrificed, uh, that they gave money. Uh, that they spoke at the United Nations to make sure that the situation in South Africa changed. So that's one piece of it. Then we need to take a look at some of the root causes of what we see in South Africa. And in some senses, it's a little bit disturbing to hear this notion that somehow foreigners are taking over South Africa because if you look at the percentages uh, in 2011, only 4% of the people who were not South African, but were part of the South African population. If you look at the year 2016, 2017, out of a population of almost 60 million, you maybe have 1.6 million people there who are not native-born to South Africa. I see. So, in that sense, there's an overinflation of what we talk about, the foreign influences in the, on the African continent. A lot of this has to be laid at the feet of the problems of moving from a revolutionary movement like the ANC, and some of the deals that the ANC and the South African Communist Party and the Congress of South African Labor Union made in order to get independence and their inability to really transition from a revolutionary movement, quote-unquote, into building a national government, meaning in terms of providing housing meaning in terms of providing schools, uh, providing education. I think you noted it in your figures there, that the unemployment figures are through the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And when you look at this issue of ethnicity, as we refer to as language groups throughout the African continent, the way in which the, uh, the, the, the continent was colonized and the way that the colonizers used particular language groups is not only a problem in South Africa, it's a problem in Cameroon. 
is a problem in Rwanda. It's a problem in Ethiopia. Yes. It's a problem around the continent. So uh, the South Africans have been clear. I think there are some things that uh, many people are upset about that they haven't done fast enough. Uh, because that language of nationalism sometimes leads to blaming of people. Mm-hmm. And you see that here mm-hmm. uh, with the Haitians uh, who've been coming to the United States, with people from Central America coming to the United States. So I, I'd like to put it in that broader context. And, and the events that happened this year uh, didn't start in March and uh, April and May. Uh, they actually started earlier last year in 2018 when there began to be attacks on the truck drivers who are yes. bringing trucks from Durban up to South Africa. Have you ever been to the African continent? The air freight system is not comparable to what exists here and maybe in the global north. So all the time you have truckers on the road. If you travel on the roads of South Africa, I just came back from Senegal and Gambia, it's always truckers on the road. And the feeling was that these were truckers who were taking jobs away from South Africans. And in some senses, there's some responsibility here that has to be placed on the South African government, not just because they made some poor governmental decisions, but because of levels of corruption, levels of mismanagement. Thank you. That makes it real plain. Very plain for me. Um, What's become of this rainbow nation? Help us understand, Nelson Mandela mentioned that there was a vision for South Africa that he saw as a rainbow nation. What was that about? His vision goes back to not only the forming of the ANC in 1912, but the Freedom Charter uh, and the early part, mid part of the uh, 20th century. And the Rainbow Nation, the Freedom Charter, and the founding of the Pan-Africans Congress and the African National Congress was based on the notion that South Africa belongs to all of its citizens. But we have to step back and be clear that South Africa, in terms of being independent, because it, let's let's step back a few years here. You, when you go back to the Boer War of 1898-1902, the Union of South Africa in 1910, from that period all the way up to 1948 when the apartheid government came into power and began to set up the Bantu stands, which is another issue which has exacerbated these, these tensions, South Africa was essentially ruled by the Nazis. That was a South African. That was a South African government, hmm. and they did everything possible to maim and destroy, etc. So Nelson Mandela gets out in 1990. The elections are in 1994. So essentially, we're talking about 25 years of trying to fuse a nation together, and they made some arrangements. They made some arrangements that white civil servants would be able to keep their jobs. They made some arrangements, but they were going to not nationalize uh, issues and corporations. They made some arrangements around the issue of land. And, and I know Robert Mugabe has gotten tremendous criticism around the issue of land. And there's criticism to be had about Robert Mugabe. But at some point, someone on the African continent is going to have to address the issue of land. Yes. Because that's actually essential to people's livelihood, to their history, and most importantly, to their cultural patrimony of who they are and how they define themselves. So these divisions, when South Africa set up the Bantu stand, they divided each language group into 13 different Bantu stands. So that led to some degrees of levels of, uh, of tension that existed in South Africa. But the ANC government, uh, through Mandela, uh, through Thabo Mbeki, 
uh, to uh, Jacob Zuma and now Susiro Ramaphosa have not delivered on the issues of housing. Mm. They have not delivered on the issues of education. Um, and, and people who, who lost their children, who lost their families, they're saying, what's the payoff here? So this, the, the, the rhetoric of blame is now shifted and it said, oh, okay, was these people who are coming from Zimbabwe. Uh, these people, people, if you travel to South Africa, if you've ever been to South Africa, there are people from all over the continent because it was one of the states, one of the countries that actually had an economy where people could make a living there. So you've had a lot of migration. But this notion that somehow people are taking jobs is the same thing that we hear here in the United States. If somebody's coming from someplace else and they're taking jobs here from African Americans who actually haven't been given any jobs. It's eerily familiar. Yep. Yep. Thank you, Mr. Turner. And uh, that was wonderful. I, I think that put a lot of light on what's going on in South Africa, especially with the Berlin Conference and the backstory. Um, so this is Shanice, your host. You're listening to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1. We're talking with Mr. Turner on Africa Today regarding the xenophobic violence in South Africa, the scramble for Africa's resources and the divisions it created between African people, not only on the continent, but amongst those displaced throughout the African diaspora. But now let's take a deep breath and listen to Tribe by Jidenna. Our people say some men draw a circle around themselves. Other men draw a circle around their family. Mm -hmm. Then there are also men who have decided to draw their own circle around their kinsmen, their tribe. Are you getting me? Mm -hmm. But the greatest men like your uncle, we draw our circle around the circumference of the entire world. Who you with? Who you crew? Who you clear? Who you fan? Who you say? Who you gang? Who you real? Fuck them all, fuck them all. That my tribe. That my crew. That my clear. That my fan, that my sis That my gang, that my rip Come on, come on, that my try Yeah, yeah, that my try Yeah, yeah, that my try Ay, yeah, that my try Yeah, ay, feel like one of the crew Feel like one of the crew Ain't got nothing to do Ain't got nothing to do Feel like super glue Feel like one of the crew, and I'm running with you. We got money to move. Put your pride in the trash bin. Too much ego in the captions. Don't get swept up like a Tesla. You ain't really need the gas in. Hate to see my niggas clashing. Hate to plot love the casting. Tryna catch a nigga lacking. Bet the tribe will outlast them. Every nigga got an accent and a funky way of dancing. And we get it with our passion. And they still afraid of black skin. Try split a fraction, small money for the trapping. Stadiums full of vibranium in the land of the black skin. And it's time that we cash in. Feel the hunger like I'm fasting. Let's think of more action. I'm so much tapping. Black star line of captain. Babylonian assassin. Fake woke snapping. Tuck them in like a napkin. That my tribe. That my crew. That my clique. That my fam. That my sis. That my gang, that my rip. Come on, come on, that my try. Yeah, yeah, that my try. Yeah, yeah, that my try. Aye, 
chopper, why, chopper, why? That should be my battle cry. That should be my alibi now. Yeah, chopper, why, chopper, why? I and I, by and by, that my tie. They tryna conquer all the time. We laugh and multiply the pie. Let them tie, let them tie, let them Welcome back to Full Circle on 94.1 FM KPFA. I'm your host, Shanice, and you just heard Tribe by Jadena. For everyone not familiar with Jadena, he is a Nigerian-American rapper. He, along with other Nigerian artists, as we heard earlier, including Tiwa Savage and Burner Boy, have come out on social media to speak out against the violence that has been happening in South Africa. Burner Boy specifically went on Twitter and called for a boycott of South Africa until the South African government finds a way to stop the violence. I believe these three artists have been especially vocal because they are all Nigerian and have been reported that many attacks have happened to Nigerian citizens residing in South Africa. Now, excuse me as I go on my dissertation soapbox, but I just want to give you guys some information about what's going on. According to the data from the United Nations, South Africa's population is around 58 million people. 3.6 million of those people are migrants from other African countries like Zimbabwe, Mozambique, and Lesotho. In 2016, there was estimated to be about 30,000 Nigerians residing in South Africa, which would make up only 2% of the population. This would mean blaming African nationals, specifically Nigerians, for any social ills that have happened to South Africa is misdirected and unjustified. Now, I don't want to ignore the fact that South Africans have understandable concerns, frustrations, and rage due to unemployment rates. 21 years after the end of apartheid and white minority rule, black South Africans face increased poverty. South Africa is projected to have the sixth highest unemployment rate in the world. Unemployment is affecting South African residents differently. When I speak of unemployment, I am speaking about the black South Africans, but also about the youth. Unemployment for black South Africans between the ages of 15 and 24 years old is estimated to be more than 55%. That's more than half of young black South Africans not being able to work to help feed, clothe, and shelter their families. This anger and violence is stemming from a hunger from for true freedom. Just because apartheid has officially ended doesn't mean the struggle, oppression, and racism toward black Black South Africans has ended and doesn't mean they are truly free. Hello? Did anyone hear me? I just said, just because a time of legal oppression and racism is over doesn't mean it has ended. We have seen this in America with the end of slavery, and we are seeing it in Africa with the end of apartheid. The people, communities, and cultures that were enslaved in those times don't just heal because someone finally gets a moral compass and says, okay, this hardship is over. It is not over. It does not end when a law says that apartheid is now illegal. It did not end when they said slavery is now illegal. The oppression, discrimination, racism, biases, mistreatment, and prejudice do not end. They just evolve and oppress black people in a different way. My thoughts always go to the government. What is the government doing about this? And how have they contributed to the scapegoating tactics of foreign-born residents? Because they have contributed in some way, shape, or form. Hopefully, we can hear more about this later in the show before we bring on our next guest, Wilson. Let's listen to the speech from the South African president, Cyril Ramphosa, and his feelings on the conflicts going on in South Africa. Now, I'd like to condemn the violence that has been spreading around a number of provinces in our country in the strongest terms. The attacks on people who run businesses from foreign nationals is something that's totally unacceptable. It's something that we cannot allow uh, to happen in South Africa, where people who are running their own businesses are attacked and their businesses are destroyed through looting, 
and uh, being firebombed, uh, something that uh, is completely against the ethos that we as South Africans espouse. And there can be no justification whatsoever about what people are having a grievance over that they should go out and attack people from other countries. Because when they do so here, they should also know that fellow South Africans will be attacked in other countries. We are a country that is completely committed against xenophobia. We do not allow and cannot tolerate the attacks on people from other uh, African countries and indeed from other countries uh, completely. So these attacks are completely against uh, the rule of law and I'd like to commend uh, the security forces, particularly the police, for stopping further violence from ensuing in a number of places, uh, in KZN, as well as in Gauteng. And we want our security forces to carry on with the work that they've been doing, arresting the perpetrators, uh, ensuring that these violent acts do not continue. I'm going to be convening the ministers in the security cluster uh, today to make sure that uh, we keep a very close eye on all these acts of wanton violence and find ways of stopping them. We just heard Cyril Ramphosa, current South African president, speech that he delivered in September condemning the violence that has taken place in South Africa in the past few months. His words seem to be what we all want to hear, but his tone just doesn't match the severe trauma that is being enacted in South Africa to South Africans and African nationals. Hopefully his actions to stop the violence will be stronger than his tone in his speech. As we stated, we are here bringing light to the conflict that has been reported in the media in the past months, but as we heard earlier, this type of conflict isn't new in the specific Specific xenophobia in South Africa has been going on for years. And returning to the present, we still have Walter Turner, host of Africa Today, still in the studio with us, and we hope you join us for the rest of the show. We also have Wilson Chifike, tour guide and educator living and working in South Africa, on the line to give us an insider's perspective on the violence in South Africa. Hello, Wilson, and welcome to the show. Hi, guys. How are you all doing? Hi, Wilson. Hey. Hey, thanks for taking the call. So I have a question. This is Kay speaking. Are the violent and deadly attacks against, quote, foreign nationals still on the rise in South Africa, or has the violence settled down? And what actions have the South African government taken in order to restore order and reduce the probability of any future outbreaks of violence against other Africans who enter the country? Okay, um... The violence has settled down for now. But just like it has always done in the past, it's going to come back because the underlying issues that drive this violence have not been dealt with. Um, underlying issues, major ones being obviously high crime, which is driven by high poverty and very little or no job creation. So it's happened before that these attacks happen sporadically and just when you think they are quelled, they're going to come up again. So, you know, all it will take again is 
middle things like certain big companies closing down and it's going to start again. So, yeah, it's quite slow, but it's going to come back. Hmm. You want to repeat your question, then, With regard to the action the government has taken, um, nothing really towards dealing specifically with the violence, except a few public statements, which always come a bit too late. Nothing ever happens at the height of everything. You know, statements are always made a few days after everything would have started. Um, you also need to bear in mind though, that a lot of the violence is driven by purely criminal elements that take advantage of the you know, confusion that comes up with the violence in order to go and lead shops. Um, all this, again, you know, is something that is very sad and could be dealt with a lot better, but the government in so many ways has got other priorities and they are detached from the plight of ordinary citizens so much that they are not compelled to act in any certain way. And then um, when it comes to the foreigners being attacked, um, xenophobia is a very broad term because that would then apply to anybody that's not from South Africa. Um, you have a lot of European migrants who are here that are not subject to these attacks. You know, these attacks are, the concept is very foreign to European migrants because they are not amongst the groups that would be attacked. Um, there are quite a number of Asian migrants in South Africa as well, and they are not as much at risk as migrants from other African countries. So there's been a new term that's been coined called Afrophobia, and I would say that is more relevant and more accurate because the major target has been people from Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Nigeria, um, Zambians, Rwanda, but nobody really ever stepped out to attack or question anybody who's not from the continent, except a few Bangladeshi shops that have been attacked, you know, that are in townships which are concentrated uh, mainly black inhabited high density housing areas. Hmm. So it sounds like you're saying that if you're not melanated, you don't get attacked, even if you're a foreigner? But it, uh, I didn't quite get the question. If you're not black and you're a foreigner, you don't get attacked? Are you understanding my question? Um, not quite. Not quite. Help explain because I'm um, a little bit confused. 
Only certain people? Foreign in this case only applies to black nationals from other African countries. Mm. Okay, so as an African American, if I went there, they probably wouldn't attack me? Uh, you are safer here than I am. Okay, mm. that makes it plainer. Yeah, so I understand because, now. Uh, yeah, purely because you're American. Because you're American, and I'm more at risk because I'm Zimbabwean. I see. Uh, that makes that makes a lot more sense. Now I understand. Uh, um, Mr. Turner, do you agree with what Wilson is saying? Well, I, you've been over there. I, uh, yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, I think one of the things that he's raising the point is that there have been a number of reasons, not only the issue of migrant labor, uh, but certainly uh, these tax often escalate around the time when there's an election. And I agree 100% with the point that he made, that the statements by the leaders are often too, they're wishy-washy. They're not clear. Uh, in many of these situations, you see that the police are there uh, while these attacks are going on. Uh, there have been some arrests after this kind of global outrage and Nigeria and Buhari and others refusing to go uh, to the international conferences. Uh, but generally, the words have not been uh, have not been strong enough in any way, shape or form. Um, the other point I would say is that there's been a whole other series of attacks, which is part of the character of what's happening with the inability of the government to address housing and issues and uh, these type of things that should be resolved, which is the attack on, on women, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. which had been prominent mm -hmm. uh, throughout South Africa. I mean, not just in terms of just uh, catcalling, but in terms of a woman being murdered. Uh, people who are LBGT communities being beaten, being uh, disfigured. Uh, so I, I think that the comments that you're making are, are exactly right uh, in terms of in terms of these situations. The South African government has not uh, responded, and it's not necessarily in all points uh, because of the lack of resources. Uh, it's because in many cases these resources have uh, been misused, uh, and around, particularly around the issues of corruption. And then finally. Um, there was a major cyclone uh, which got a little bit of coverage here in the United States, which hit uh, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, and Malawi. And people began to come from that region uh, into, into South Africa. And so, yes, you do have people, uh, but most of the people on the African continent, in contrast to the story that the media says of Africans fighting into Europe, most of the displaced people on the African continent are still on the African continent. Mm -hmm. And countries like Sudan, countries like Ethiopia have large numbers of, of African uh, populations, people who are refugees, people from the wars, etc. The point that one of our hosts made Kwame Nkrumah referred to it as neocolonialism. And just because you've changed your flag doesn't mean that your economic system is not dominated by outside forces. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you see uh, in South Africa. It's a little difficult to hear Ramaphosa talk about some of these issues because one of the most violent incidents in South Africa in 2012, uh, the event at Marikana, he was the head of the mining company mm -hmm. uh, that ordered the attack on the miners. But the gentleman who's speaking from Zimbabwe, uh, we concur on the points he's making. He's very, very clear, and thank him. Thank you so much, both of you.
Wilson, do you have anything uh, else you'd like to add? Um, yes. Um, at the end of the day, um, you have a total lack of accountability that hovers around everything, where you've got people in office, your politicians who are not held accountable for anything. Um, you've got some of course are in charge of the country and the back stops with him. Yes, it's very difficult to challenge the status quo um, without ruffling feathers. And despite several promises from 94, I heard you mentioned earlier the succession of South African president, none of them have really stepped out to question or challenge why and how there is so much of a disparity between the rich and the poor that is very prevalent to this day. You know, even if you look at the demographics of how people stay, you look at how much wealth is in white hands, how much wealth is in black hands, nobody has addressed that. And until those issues are addressed, you know, it's quiet for now. But again, wait for the next election. There's going to be another wave of attack. Foreigners will be in trouble. And the same law enforcement agencies that would be expected to deal with the violence come from communities that harbor this hatred towards foreigners. So there is very little incentive for them to go out in full force and protect foreign nationals because they come from communities that have got no love for foreigners that look at anything foreign as a threat. Um, it's a mindset that was bred by colonialism and the apartheid system, which looks at you know the African people as a whole and the best way to control and manage people is reminding them of their differences as opposed to reminding them of their similarities. And they play on that to divide and conquer hmm. a whole group of people. So a lot of education has to also be done with your South Africans to help them understand um, that their freedom was largely an effort from fellow African countries, you know, that could have easily sat back and said, look, South Africa deal with it, but because we are one people with a lot of African governments that contributed immensely to the liberation of South Africa, despite the fact that it took longer than a whole lot of other African countries. Um, but they were prioritized by a lot of people, and they don't understand or appreciate that history. I'm sorry to interject here, Wilson. Thank you so much for your uh, inside per perspective. Um, can you stay on the line? We're, all, we're reaching the end of the show, so we're hoping you can stay on and add a little bit at the end. Will that work for you? Yep, I'm here. Great. So this yep. is Kay. You're listening to KPFA 94.1.
And that was tour guide and educator Wilson Shafike with his inside accounts and perspectives on the violence against foreign nationals in South Africa. We're reaching the end of tonight's show, but before we go, we would like to play you one last clip. African countries have been labeled as poor with slow economic growth, riddled with violence, starvation, and diseases. And while these stereotypes are not completely without merit, they are also not wholly true and do not address the intentional destabilization of Africa through the strong arm of centralized government or more plainly through the rape and theft of Africa. When the colonizers were leaving the continent, between 1958 and 1961, France did something that was just downright terrible. Made the African leaders sign what we, they call the, the Pact for the Continuation of Colonization. France made the Francophone countries sign the Pact for the Continuation of Colonization. Allow me to highlight a few of the items in the Pact for the Continuation of Colonization. And I urge all of you to Google it and read it. And if that does not disgust you, I don't know what will. First, the French said, well, you see, we built a few schools, a few, a few roads, uh, a few hospitals, taught you about the fork and knife and sitting on a table and eating with utensils. We're going to call that the colonial debt. And for that, you shall pay to perpetuity. In addition, you will deposit 85% of your bank reserves with the Minister of Finance, the French Minister of Finance. Collectively, the Minister of Finance, the French Minister of Finance, will take all your deposits. It was 85% back then. It's now down to about 60. The French Minister will invest that money in the French stock exchange, under the French name, you may or may not know the returns. Today, France is taking out of Africa, Francophone Africa, over $500 billion. Over $500 billion. We, the Africans, the poor countries, we're giving France over $500 billion a year. Year in, year out. And no one is talking about it. The latest figures are saying for every $14 billion that France takes out of Africa, by the time they finish investing it, they're realizing upwards of $300 billion for every $14 billion. So in actuality, France is taking out of Africa trillions of dollars year in, year out. Should any of those countries wish to access some of their own money, that they deposited with France. They have to submit their own financial reports for the country. And if approved, they can only access up to 20% of that money as a loan at commercial interest rates. Figure that one out. That is our reality. It gets better. They were also told that if you need any military equipment, you can only purchase it from France. Your military can only be trained by France that France will have military presence in your own country and can invade you without notice should they fail, French interests are being violated. Language of instruction shall be French. All your minerals discovered, yet to be discovered, France has the first right of refusal. All the contracts, big contracts, private and public, French companies have the first right of refusal. Now, my brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, if you were to go home and run for president and your first day 
in office, your chief of staff comes to you and says, oh, by the way, Mr. President, Madam President, before you start, I must read you the do's and don'ts as stipulated by the pact for the continuation of colonization. And your chief of staff reads this to you. What power do you have? This is precisely what our colonizers wanted, to leave us in a position that no matter how hard we try, trying to get a leg up is mission impossible. Welcome back. This is Full Circle on the Pacifica Mothership KPFA 94.1 FM in Berkeley. And that was Dr. Arikana Chihambore Kuahu, the former African Union ambassador to the U.S., speaking about the pact for the continuation of colonization that France imposed upon Africa in 1958. Not so surprisingly, Dr. Arikana Chihambore Kuahu was recently fired for speaking about this truth to those who wish only to be enriched and comforted by lies. We have so many romantic ideas about history, history, but I encourage you to seek out truth for yourselves. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Please visit our website, kpfaapprentice.org, for archive shows as well as bonus material and resources from tonight's show. I'd like to thank both of tonight's guests, and we'd also like to thank everyone for their generous donations to help keep this amazing community radio station alive and our program thriving. We could not do any of this without your support. Please, if you haven't taken the opportunity to donate, go to kpfa.org today to make your secure donation. Tune in next week as we share sounds from the recent Berkeley Indigenous Peoples Day powwow. We want to thank our executive producer, Ms. M, our technical director, Free Will and Frank, Joy Moore, our production assistant, our board op, Free Will and Frank, and our tech assist, Eric Datboard Media. We were your host, Shanice, Casey, and Theodora. Thank you all for joining us tonight on Full Circle. <laughs> up next, La Onda Bajita. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> Guru 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 gu